Well, good morning, North Church. Are you doing okay so far? Awesome. I love to hear that. Kind of some mild enthusiasm. Do you ever just wake up in the morning enthralled by God's creativity as it reveals itself in nature? I had the opportunity this morning to do that. Um, God, um, it's the birds, really. God creates these creatures with this unbelievable ability to somehow mimic any sound that they hear and then reproduce it almost precisely. So I learned this this morning at around 4 a.m. There's a bird out there that makes a noise that's exactly the same as the smoke detector that chirps when the batteries are going bad. Right? And as we know, you can't find which smoke detector it is because the chirp sounds like it's coming from everywhere. So between 4 and 4.30, I was all over the house looking for the one that had the bad batteries. Only discovered that it was a bird just outside the window making the noise the whole time. And so I said, God, you're so wonderful to provide us creatures like that at 4 in the morning. Thank you, Lord. Well, it wasn't exactly like that. It was something maybe approximately similar to that. Okay, it wasn't very close at all. I don't, I don't even know why I shared you that, with that story with you, other than that I'm sleep-deprived and who knows what could come out of my mouth for the next 30 minutes. We, uh, we're closing out our series today on spiritual warfare, on standing strong with the armor of God out of Ephesians uh, chapter 6. Great stuff. It's been wonderful. And we've learned things along the way. We, the, there's this basic premise, right, that we're always and at all times part of a, a great spiritual conflict. There's spiritual war going on all around us, and that God gives us what we need to be safe and protected in that battle. He gives us the belt of truth to become people who believe true things about God and who live out life as those who live and tell the truth, uh, that we're protected by righteousness, the, the breastplate of righteousness, that it's, a, it's living in the righteousness of Christ that actually protects us and, and keeps, our, keeps us safe, uh, that God gives us the shoes of peace, that he visits his peace upon us, and that allows us to be uh, strong as well, that he gives us faith as a shield against the darts of the enemy, a helmet of salvation that protects us and keeps us. And today we get to the end, to the, to the final piece of that armor. And we'll take it up in Ephesians 6, starting at verse 11. It says, put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers in this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, and it goes on and on and on. It's... It's hard to miss the repetition, right, about standing firm and holding that place. I mean, the Apostle Paul didn't underline that. We did that to highlight it and stuff like that. But, but it's, hard, it's hard to mistake it. Four times in rapid succession, as he's describing what spiritual warfare is like, he says, your job is to stand firm, to not yield, to stand your ground, and having done everything, to stand. Um... I went to school with a number of people whose approach to spiritual warfare was, um, was kind of like they got up in the morning and said, let's go to war. Let's go do some demon hunting. 
bust some spiritual heads. We're going to just charge every morning. They're super obnoxious because they did that at four in the morning as well. <laughs> but there's something here that we see that we don't necessarily have to go looking for a fight. If you're living the life that God has called you to live, if you're becoming a person of his word, if you're living out the love of Christ, if you're sharing your faith, if you're doing the things God calls you to do, if you're being the person God has called you to be, the fight will come to you. The devil will find you. You don't have to go looking for him. And that's why the armor is so important. So, and so the call then, as Paul described it, isn't necessarily go, charge, go get him. It's stand firm. Stand firm on your confession of faith. Be strong, be stable right where you stand. Now, standing firm doesn't mean you just stand there like a, like a punching bag in armor, taking the best shots that the enemy has to give, right? It's not like you're Rocky Balboa during rounds one through five just getting the sap beat out of you. That, that when the battle does come to us, when the enemy does take his opportunity and makes an advance, the scripture says there's a, there's a weapon to be used. There's a sword to be had. A sword that we have to take up and use aggressively and skillfully to put down the threat that stands before us. Paul describes it this way. He's finishing out this sequence of images. He says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's, that's what we have when the enemy comes and when we're challenged to stand firm and the attack comes to us. We've got the other elements of the armor for protection, but there's a sword that we can take up, and with that sword we can defend ourselves, and we can, we can uh, attack back, and we can put down the threat that's in front of us. And, and that sword, Paul says, is the word of God. And it's probably really important then, as important as that sword is, that we're able to go, what does Paul mean when he's talking about that? What is it that Paul's referring to? Most of us, I think, um, would go, oh, the Word of God. I know what the Word of God is. The Word of God is the Bible. That's what we call it. We refer to the Bible as the Word of God, and rightly so, we do. But is this what Paul was talking about? Was Paul saying the sword of the Spirit is the Bible that you have and you just need to wield it? There's a, there's a mild difficulty with that understanding. Why? Because when Paul was writing, this wasn't all put together yet. It wasn't here yet. Maybe there's something else going on. And believe me, I'm a huge fan of the Bible. But the Bible itself, Paul uses very specific words to, to help us understand what it is that he's getting at. There are a lot of words Paul could have used. When he said the word of God, there are lots of words of uh, Greek words available. One of them is logos. And when you use the word logos talking to uh, this, it would refer to kind of uh, some collected teachings that had been put down in writing that were fixed that you could go and refer to, like a completed set of teachings. So Paul might, might use the word logos to refer to like the Old Testament writings that did exist when, when he was around. And, and the writings and, and that content of that teaching, and it's all collected in there, he could have said, yes, I'm referring to those things. And if that's what he was talking about, he would have used the word logos. But he didn't. He used a, a very different word, a more interesting word, I think. He used the word rhema. And the word rhema uh, is it's not just about the words that are written down in the fixed content of the teaching. Rhema is the word that's spoken and proclaimed and declared. 
When he uses the word rhema, he's talking about the things that are proclaimed, that are spoken out, that are uh, presented to the churches amidst the preaching. Paul's not just talking about the sum total of Christian doctrine and teaching. He's talking about when he says the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, that, sport, that, that sword is actually the proclamation that takes place consistently in all of the churches to which he goes. Paul refers to that, that same thing all the time when he talks about this gospel that I preach or my gospel that I preach. He talks to me about the things that you've heard me preach to others. This word rhema is all about this truth of God as it's proclaimed and spoken out. So then the question is, well, okay, if that's what Paul's talking about, what was it that was consistently proclaimed, pro- consistently declared, consistently preached, consistently spoken in every church that he visited, in every church that he founded, in every church that, gra- that uh, gathered together to worship the Lord, what is the, what is the core essential message that's proclaimed? And we call it the gospel. We call it the good news. And, um, and it's that core central thing that identifies us. Now, there are a lot of ways you can describe it. And I know here's, here's, the, here's the error that I fall into when they go, okay, Scott, what is, what is that gospel message? What is that central proclamation? What is that, that declaration of public words that we share? I fall into this thing, it's like, oh, I want to I tell everything I know about it. Like, I went to school, and I studied, and I, like, I just want to share everything. I don't want to leave anything out. And it's, it's, so scholars do this, right? Scholars, the, they go in and they, they scan the book of Acts and the old documents, and they find, okay, of all the different ways that the gospel was preached, that when Peter gave his sermon on Pentecost, and when Paul told his story of redemption multiple times in the book of Acts, and when he presented the gospel at different churches, what do they all have in common? And many, most of the scholars will come down and say, well, there's, there's kind of like six core things that were a part of every presentation of this gospel, which is the sword of the Spirit. And I go, cool, let's talk about them. Let's not leave anything out. So here they are, the six things that are at the heart and the soul of the gospel, which is the sword of the Spirit. And the first one is this. I, I know it's here. There we go. God's promise of a Messiah Redeemer is a consistent theme of Old Testament history and the prophets. Second, Jesus Christ fulfilled this promise in his life, his teaching, and his death. Third, Jesus Christ was resurrected to eternal life and then was exalted to the right hand of God the Father as the rightful Lord of all creation. Four, Jesus will return one day to consummate the redemptive work that was decisively accomplished at the cross. Five, faith in Christ, repentance from sin, humble obedience to his teachings are the appropriate responses to what Jesus has done. And then sixth is just an invitation. Would you like to respond to that? I get excited because there's a ton of content there. And every part of me wants to go item by item and like write a dissertation about each one of them because they're so rich and full of content and there's just so much there. And then I realize I actually need them written down just to remember them. It's complicated. It's a lot of content. And sometimes when we see presentations of the gospel with all of that content, yes, it's helpful because it reminds us there's a lot to it and we need to always be learning and growing. But sometimes it comes across like, well, I can't possibly remember all that. 
I can't take notes fast enough to write all of that down. How am I supposed to hang on to all of that? I guess I'm just not cut out to be one of the people who proclaims the gospel. Maybe it's just too much, too complicated, too technical. I'm wondering if maybe we can take another run at it. And maybe understand that while this is not a complete version, or a particularly complex version, this is the kind of version that maybe you and I could lay hold of. And if we are taking notes, have enough time to jot it down. And maybe just get some hooks to hang our thoughts on and realize when the time comes to share the gospel, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, to wield that sword of the Spirit, which is this gospel message, we'll have something to work with. So here we go. Number one, God promised a Savior. That simplifies it a little bit, right? Jesus is that Savior. And Jesus was killed, but God raised him from the dead. Jesus will return. And faith in him is all that any of us need to access all that he promises. And then there's just a response to be had. Can you say yes to that in faith? Can you say, yes, I'll believe that? Can you say, yes, I'll align my life with that? And maybe down the road, come to a fuller understanding of it and learn a little more about it and get in at the next level. But the gospel, while incredibly profound and incredibly deep and incredibly significant, doesn't have to be incredibly complicated. And so I want to offer you an opportunity to maybe rethink what you understand the gospel to be, to simplify it, to wrap your mind around it, to grab hold of it, and to embrace it even as it is, because this is what was proclaimed in the very earliest days of the church. And this is what was proclaimed as the church grew slowly. This is what the church has proclaimed through generations of growth and through generations of persecution. Churches in all parts of the world, throughout all stages of history, during times of increase and during times of decrease, during uh, things being great and things being really hard, this is the declaration of the gospel. Don't ever buy into the lie or the deceit that says, until you can write a theologically precise and very sophisticated version of the gospel, you're not qualified to share that with anybody. It's just not true. You don't, you don't need a huge background. You don't need um, years and years of teaching. The way the church grew is that when the, when the church got together, this is the message they proclaimed. This was the consistent declaration, this declaration of the church. This was the consistent declaration of the word of God that Paul calls the sword of the spirit. And swords are interesting things. Because swords, by the way, are always, they're in addition to being a weapon, a sword is a cultural identifier. Right, so the, the Romans had their particular kind of sword that you can probably picture it, right, in their armor. But if you picture like um, uh, the, the British armies of years past with the big, long, broad sword, that's a different kind of sword, and so that's a different kind of culture. Uh, 
Middle Eastern countries for years have had more like the scimitar kind of sword, right? The real thin, but kind of the bent blade around that that you could swing, right? And when you see that sword, that's embodied by a whole different kind of culture. It's kind of always been where swords have been in play that a sword is an indicator, um, not just of your readiness for battle, but it's an indicator of which particular kingdom you serve and whose kingdom you're trying to advance. The sword that you and I wield will identify us either as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven or of some other kingdom. How do you, let me ask, when you think of striking a blow for the kingdom of God, what image does that convey? How do you see yourself striking a blow for the kingdom of God? Some people say, well, I will, I, um, I will stand up for the rights of those who are being unjustly persecuted. I'll stand for justice, and I think that's fantastic. There are people who will march and protest because they don't want to see families being separated at the border. And regardless of, of the politics around that, I think keeping families together is a good idea when you can. I see many people say, the way that I'm going to strike a blow for the kingdom of God is to attend an event or go to a conference or love my neighbor. And all of those are very great things. But Paul's description of the sword of the Spirit, Paul's description of the way that we most powerfully strike a blow for the kingdom of God is simply that we declare and we proclaim the gospel out loud to others. You are never a more effective warrior in the service of the Lord than when you are simply declaring and speaking out the truth of the gospel. That can be in very complex ways. That can be in very simple ways. That can be as you, as you raise your kids to love Jesus and know him. It can be as you engage in Bible studies with friends. It can be sharing your faith with neighbors in the workplace or in the neighborhood. It can be in all kinds of venues. But the strongest blow you will ever strike on behalf of God's kingdom is the proclamation of the gospel, the telling of the story of the good news that God promised a savior and Jesus is it and that you have a chance to respond to him in faith and that that's all it takes. When we proclaim that message, we are striking a blow for the kingdom of God. That can be powerful. It can be amazing. How do we do that? How do we get so familiar with our, with this? How do you get used to wielding a sword in a way that can be that you can use it effectively. The Romans, before they sent a soldier into battle, gave him about six months of training just with the shield and just with the sword. And they did something super fun with that. Instead of giving him the actual sword and shield that they would use in battle, they gave him wooden ones to practice with. A, fewer people killed each other in practice, so that was a bonus. <laughs> but B, the wooden shield and the wooden sword that they used were actually heavier than the ones that they would use in battle. Right? So they'd weigh them down and they'd get them used to with a shield and a sword in particular that were much heavier than the one that they were going to do battle with. So that when they got into battle, they were over-prepared. They were over-equipped. They wouldn't break down with fatigue and exhaustion and getting tired. Right? They were just ready to go. This was, the battle was actually much easier than the training. I think there is a very clear parallel for us in our ability to really share the gospel, proclaim the good news of the gospel, preach the good news that Jesus Christ has come to anybody around us in whatever format and venue that we do. And that is this, that in order to be equal to that task, we probably need to be doing some of the training on the front end. 
working it hard as hard at getting to know what's in God's word, working as hard at getting to embrace the heart of the gospel, working harder at how do I live that out on a daily basis, doing the hard work daily so that when the opportunities come to share that and to speak it out and to proclaim it and to declare it, that we use that sword excellently and to great effect that way. David uh, wrote in Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In order that I might not sin against you, God, I've taken your words and I've hidden them down in my heart. There's a very active, intentional thing that happens, right? I mean, hiding words in my heart is different than just kind of skimming across a page or making sure I read my 17 verses so I can check the checkbox on my reading plan or anything else like that. No, hiding God's word in my heart is about reading and then thinking and then reflecting and asking God to make that come alive to me and, and embracing the truth that I find there in the Bible and making it a part of who I am and then it becomes a part of me deep down inside and then I've hidden God's word in my heart. And then David says, when I do that, I don't sin the way I did before. And isn't that awesome, right? I, I always, my, when, I, when I think about trying not to sin, I just think about trying hard. I'll set goals, I'll put a plan, I'll make sure I've got some accountability, and I'll just try really hard not to do that sin or fall under that habit or repeat that behavior or be kind or, or you know, mistreat that. Per, I'll just try really hard not to fail. And if I understand what David's saying there, he's saying, look, the way to not fail isn't about trying harder. It's about familiarizing myself with God's word, about taking God's word in the heart of his gospel and hiding it in the deep places of my heart through prayer and reflection and through journaling and writing and talking with others and it becomes a part of who I am. And then the not sinning takes care of itself. When, um, when Moses in the Old Testament was finished bringing the Israelites out of Egypt and he had his time of leadership and it was time to hand off the reins to Joshua, he did that, and then this is the word that God spoke to Joshua about, about how to be a successful leader. He said, be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all of the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, and then then you will be prosperous, and then you'll be successful. God's instruction to his leader, Joshua, was if you want to be successful, you've got to have your mind in the game. You've got to be familiarizing yourself. You've got to be owning the words of God. Those were the ones that were contained in the Old Testament at the time. We have the rest of Scripture with us today, but the same principle applies that we keep it in front of us day and night, we meditate on it, we think about it, we immerse ourselves in it. And that's how we move forward, not to the right or the left, but in the direction God calls us to, and we get to be prosperous and successful in doing that as well. So then the question is, well, God has provided this sword of the Spirit, which is, which is our ability to proclaim and declare the good news of Jesus Christ with others. That, that's the sword that we have. That's what we've been given. And now we just got to know, are, are we using it right? Because you know what happens when you use a weapon wrong? You end up on one of those YouTube videos that are hysterical. <laughs> and, you're, and you are very injured, and we don't want that, right? How about you? Are you comfortable that you're using your sword of the Spirit correctly? Are you comfortable that you are wielding this weapon that God has given you 
the ability to proclaim and declare the good news of Jesus Christ? Are you using that well and properly? Here are three, three checkpoint questions for you to assess that. The first is this. Am I learning the word of God? We never, none of us will come to the point where you go, well, I know enough. I've encountered enough. I've experienced enough. I really don't need to learn anymore about God's word or about the gospel. Never happens. Always learning, always growing. The depths of God are unsearchable. They're incomprehensible. There's always more. And so there's always more to be learned. Are you, are you, are you learning the word of God? What And how are you doing that? Do you have a regular rhythm of, of being in the scripture or being in studies with people or speaking about the word of God or engaging God's word? What is your pattern? What is your rhythm? Because if you are not learning, then your ability to wield this sword successfully falls alongside you. So am I learning the word of God first? And then second, not just am I learning the word of God, but am I living the word of God? It, it's one thing to know a lot about the Bible, to know the stories, to be able to refer to chapters and verses and to know where things are and to be able to articulate, articulate ideas and maybe even pass the quiz or the test that somebody gives you and you go, okay, hey, I know a lot about the Bible. Hey, well, congratulations on that. Well done. Good work. But if it's just up in here and it doesn't find its way out into our life, we're not really wielding the sword of the Spirit. We're just learning some stuff. So how is your progress, I guess is what I'm asking, how is your progress in living out the message of the gospel, of living out God's goodness and grace and forgiveness, of living out his love for others, of living out the declaration that, that God gave by example in Jesus Christ that we gladly suffer on behalf of others? Are you growing in your ability to live that out? If you are, you're probably becoming a, a better user of the sword that God has given you. But if you kind of reach your spot and said, nah, I'm not, I'm not going to live that out anymore. I've kind of gone as far as I'm going to go. Not only am I done learning more, but I'm done living it out with any more intensity. Then, then you've reached the spot that you need to fight through. Am I learning the word of God? Am I living the word of God? And then thirdly, am I leading others in the word of God? See, learning it and living it, that's about me. But Jesus takes us a step further and says, no, you, your next step is to be leading other people into that. To become one who is, whose life is so shaped and informed by the gospel that we just naturally take on some of the attributes of Jesus and go, I want to help other people find God too. That I want to lead people in their growth. And there's tons of ways to do that. Many of you, many of, many of us here are part of life groups that are super fun and we love them. We go to life groups on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. We study the Bible. We share meals together. We do life together. We pray for one another. And it's fantastic. We're learning and we're living. But there's another step that's leading us. That's finding someone and saying, you're not in a life group? Come join us. Come be with us and join us in what we're doing. Mike mentioned we're doing the, the multiply gathering here in a couple weeks for the barbecue uh, on the 15th. And what he says is really true. Come and 
find someone and bring them with you. The heart of leading others is, is not feeling like, I am such a great leader that I have all of the answers, so obviously anyone in the right mind would follow me. That's not how it works at all. Most of us are in this room in part because at some point, at somewhere along the way, someone that we looked up to helped us and helped us down the road. They were an influence on us. They steered us in a direction towards faith. They steered us in a direction towards knowing Jesus. They, they led us in the development of our faith in Jesus, and we're grateful for that, right? Most of us can look and go, there was a person that led me into my faith. And then it's just as important that we're all able to look back and go, there's someone that I'm doing the same thing for. Not just in an abstract, I guess I'm willing to if the opportunity comes up, but an actual person with an actual name and an actual face and some actual things that I'm really doing to help lead them towards faith. That's what it is. And I would su I'd suggest this, that only when we are consistently learning and living and leading others in the word of God, only at that point can we really be using the sword of the spirit, the proclamation of the gospel, to its greatest effect. In the middle of Matthew's gospel, it's right at the turning point in the middle of the gospel, Peter has this revelation from God. Jesus asks him, who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're right. And that's not just a human conclusion. God revealed that to you. And then he said this, Peter, that confession, that recognition that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, that confession is going to be the foundation of my church. I'm going to build my church on that confession that Jesus Christ is the son of God. He said, not only is that going to be the foundation of the church, but he says, once that foundation is laid, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why won't the gates of, he gates of hell prevail against a church that, that is built on a foundation of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God? Because that's the sword of the Spirit. That's the proclamation and the declaration and the speaking out of the truth that Jesus has come to deliver and to save. And so long as we keep declaring that in word and in action, and in heart, the gates of hell will not prevail. And we will stand strong. And having done all, we will stand. I want to invite you to just a moment of quick prayer and reflection. And then we'll close. Some of us are probably here in the, I need to learn more. I need to do a better job continuing to grow in my understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. Others of us may be in the camp of, I'm okay with the learning, but it's not translating into the way I live yet. And others maybe of us are realizing for the part that affects me directly, I've been doing okay, but there's no part of me that's turning to intentionally lead others. Wherever you find yourself there, we turn to God and ask for his help and his assistance and his guidance as we move forward. So Heavenly Father, wherever we find ourselves in that spectrum, we want to become the people 
that you want us to be. We recognize that the, the gift of the gospel and its proclamation to others, the sharing of the faith that has been passed down, God, we realize that for what it is, the greatest weapon you've given us, and we want to use it well. So God, at whatever point that means we need to change, we're ready to do that today. God, open our eyes to the opportunities we have to learn. Open our spirits to the places you're calling us to live it out in a more um, direct and intentional way. And God, I'm asking, would you put within each one of us an undeniable, inescapable passion to lead other people into experiencing the truth of the gospel and the glories of your grace. And then, God, we say with confidence, we stand firmly confident, not firming confident in our own strength, not firming confident in our own abilities as well-trained warriors or soldiers, but confident in what you have provided, the armor, the shield, the weapon, the sword, all of it. God, we want to spend a life standing strong for you, declaring your gospel and sharing it openly with all. In Jesus' name, amen.